Good morning. Good morning. Every week I stand up and say welcome, and then I say thank you for the welcome that we've received. This morning, as it's myself and Mo's last Sunday with you for a while, because it's great to see Katrina back, um, I want to say also thank you very much for all the encouragement that we've received over the last seven or eight weeks. We enjoy coming here because we spend time thinking and meditating on what we're going to share. So when people come up to us afterwards and start talking about it with us, even when you say, well, actually, I don't agree with you, or I'm not sure about this, or I think you went a bit awry, that's as exciting for us as the, oh, actually, I really hadn't thought of this before. Please, keep coming to us, keep talking. It encourages us no end. Of course, if you want us to be quiet, then you need to do the opposite. Um, So thank you. We have thoroughly enjoyed the last seven or eight weeks here. Our call to worship this morning comes from John chapter 1. And I will be honest, it, it didn't come to me in some quiet time. It came to me as I was listening to Radio Scotland on Tuesday morning because Duncan McLaren was sharing the thought for the day. Now, Duncan McLaren is a hospital chaplain up in Dundee. And he was reflecting that just last week, um, I nearly forgot, Ray Tomlinson, who invented the email, had died. Now, Reflecting on that, he was saying that this invention that he came up with towards the late 80s has now become part of everyday use. At first, we all had that excitement about being able to email and contact someone immediately. And it was a bit exciting. And then along came spam. And then along came 101 emails every day, together with text messages and Facebook and Twitter and everything else. And we eventually learned to ignore one another. I personally have a small rule that if someone's texting me or emailing me, and we've texted or emailed more than twice, I pick up a phone. Because the amount of times I've got stuck in an email conversation or a text conversation, and you're not quite sure what the other person's actually saying anymore, and they're not really, they've either misunderstood you, or you're both going off at different tangents. The written word on its own isn't enough. We understand what people are saying because of their face, because of the tone of their voice. And actually, there's nothing more important or nothing as special as being physically present with someone. And this is where Duncan was going, because as a hospital chaplain, when he sits with people that are scared, who are afraid, who aren't sure, that being physically present with them is sometimes the most precious gift he has. But isn't it great that we as Christians, when we gather, don't gather because we've all read a good book, or that we all share the same philosophy, or that we all believe the same things. We gather because the word became flesh. That the word became more than just a mere word and came and dwelt amongst us and is present. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. 
Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. We gather today to stand and worship the one who is real, the one who is physical, the one who is human, and yet also divine. Let us stand to sing number five, Be Still for the Presence of the Lord. Number 12, sorry, have I got the wrong wrong list? Number 
in all this, Lord, we can declare and claim many great things about you. But nothing is as precious to us as your presence here this morning. It is our desire to grow in our awareness of you and knowledge of you, that here today and each day this week, we desire to hear your counsel, your wisdom, and at times just enjoy your company. Forgive us, Lord, when our actions and deeds have stolen from others, destroyed their peace, and left them upset. Forgive us when we've had that bad morning and made a bad witness of you. And we pray, Lord, that you would be with those that we have hurt or offended this week. We pray also, Lord, for those who have offended us. Help us to forgive them and to love them, not because of what they have done or haven't done, but because of who they are and who you created them to be. Bless us with an ability to love others as you love them. And bless us also with the wisdom of when to act and when to leave things alone. As we gather in the name of your Son and by your Spirit, we now pray together to you, our Father, as Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come,
question for you all. This is where I picked up from all wine nights, what I'm about to do. If you had a superpower, what would it be? If you could choose a superpower, what would, you, what would it be? And what would you do with it? Hmm? Ooh, you haven't thought about this? You're not sure? No? No? No superpowers? Any superpowers over here? Oh, we've got... A, yeah. What would you like to be able to do? Do anything. You want to be able to do anything? What's stopping you from doing anything just now? <laughs> yes, he's looking at his mother. <laughs> no. I'm, sh- I'm sure there's many other reasons why you can't do anything. Right. Go on. Yes. Um, if I had a superpower, it would be to fly. You'd like to fly. I must admit, that's mine. Forget the fact I'm slightly scared of heights. I'd like to fly. Would you like to f- anywhere you'd like to fly to? To the moon. To the moon. That would be something. Yeah. You never know, you could still become that astronaut. Any other superpowers people really think, oh, if only I could? Yeah? You'd like to fly as well. Any yeah. in particular? I don't know. You don't know? Yeah. I'd like to be able to clean my house like Mary Poppins can. Ah, oh, yes. The Mary Poppins magical powers, yes. I sometimes wonder if it was her ability to clean the house on Innocent or the ability to still be singing cheerily by the time she'd finished cleaning her house. What was the most important? It'd be great to have that magical gift that means that we can do many amazing things. Now, I always hesitate here because I don't like comparing Jesus to Superman or Jesus to a superhero. But Jesus did quite a lot of amazing things. He did a lot of things that you and I can't do. Can anyone remember any? He healed people. Yep. He walked on water. Now, we're going to come back to that one. Yep. He didn't make Moses stand inside the burning bush. But you're right. God did help Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go into the fiery furnace. But you're right. With the burning bush, that was Moses. Um, anything else that Jesus did whilst he was here that we can think of? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're thinking Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Babylon and Daniel, and it was King Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah? That's right. He made paralyzed people walk. He made blind people see. He raised people from the dead. He did lots of amazing things. Now, before we come back to the walking on water, can anyone think of anything Jesus did with all these amazing powers, anything Jesus did that was for his own benefit? I had to think about this one, and I'm not going to tell you just now. I'll tell you about it later. Okay. Water to wine. I have wondered about that, you know. <laughs> yes. There is a wee, I've got a funny feeling when Jesus turned the water and wine. I'd be very surprised if he then didn't drink any. Yes. But primarily it was for other folk. But yes. To say he didn't benefit from them would be unfair. Okay. Well, let's talk about the walking on the water. Now, because that's the story we're going to be looking at later on. Now, here we have a blanket on the floor. Now, don't worry. This is the one that we usually put on the grass outside. So I'm not going to actually take your shoes off. Oh, 
Sarah has this ability to spot anything that's come from the house. <laughs> okay, now, do I have a volunteer willing to walk across the blanket? On you go. Right. You just, just walk across it. Okay. Now, that's not too difficult now, is it? No, nothing amazing there. Okay. Now, if the sea was nice and flat like that, some people think maybe the water was frozen, maybe something else was going on. We're never told how Jesus walked on water. But we know something is the water wasn't like this when Jesus walked on it. Do you want to grab the other end? When Jesus walked on the water, it was like this. It was in the middle of a storm. Can anyone walk on this just now? <laughs> I'm not sure you can try it. You want to try it? On you go. We'll give it a good shake. You can try. Feel free. No. No. See, we can even drown under a blanket. Oh, maybe. Oh, that's it. We can get there. I know. See, I don't know if Jesus was trying to just show off or something. Not saying that Jesus would ever do anything to show off. But he didn't calm the storm until after he got in the boat. There's a bit of me thinking if I was going to walk on the water, the first thing I would have done would have been to stop the storm. Or maybe to pick a better night. I went and picked that one. Now, we can talk of really lots of amazing things that Jesus did. And we can talk of all these wonderful miracles and his ability to walk on water. There is no story where Jesus flew, unless you think of the ascending into heaven. But do you know, what would you say is the most amazing thing about Jesus? How about I tell you what I think is really amazing about Jesus? Here we have Jesus, who is God, who can walk on water and raise the dead and do all these amazing miracles. And do you know something? Do you know what he's interested in? Jesus is interested in you and me. He can do all these many amazing things, but he wants to be part of your life. He wants to be your friend as much as your brother and all these other things. Jesus was real, and Jesus is real. And for someone who can do so many things, actually the thing that's most amazing is he wants to be with us. Let us pray. Jesus, you did many amazing things. You healed the sick, raised people from the dead, and even walked on water. Thank you, Jesus, that you want to be our friend. Help us to be good friends to you. And thank you for the amazing things you do in our lives even when we don't realize it. Amen. Let us now sing, Tell Me the Stories of Jesus.
this morning is from Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. Matthew 14, starting at verse 22. Then Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side of the lake, while he sent the people away. After sending the people away, he went up to a hill by himself to pray. When evening came, Jesus was there alone, and by this time the boat was far out in the lake, tossed about by the waves because the wind was blowing against it. Between three and six o'clock in the morning, Jesus came to the disciples, walking on the water. When they saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and screamed with fear. Jesus spoke to them at once. Courage, he said. It is I. Don't be afraid. Then Peter spoke up. Lord, if it is really you, order me to come out on the water to you. Come, answered Jesus. So Peter got out of the boat and started walking on the water to Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he was afraid and started to sink down in the water. Save me, Lord, he cried. At once Jesus reached out and grabbed hold of him and said, What little faith you have. Why did you doubt? They both got into the boat and the wind died down. Then the disciples in the boat worshipped Jesus. Truly you are the Son of God, they exclaimed. consider your word this morning as we declare the reality of your presence, the truth of who you are we desire to hear your voice that you would minister to us teach us, help us to grow that we would hear from you in a way that we would understand in our hearts, our voice in our minds something that we would treasure Amen. I realized earlier I was going to ask them if any of them had been in the boat, how many of them would have wanted to climb over the side with Peter. I think I kind of got the answer anyway, as uh, quite a few of them jumped out. But I did ask a question that I didn't answer. I don't know if anyone's got the answer. What did Jesus do at any point that was for his own benefit? The only thing I could think of 
was one thing. Jesus took time to himself. Jesus went off by himself. Now, being a parent of six children, and, and particularly with two young ones at the moment, I don't need to explain to you, as many of you here, not just those of you that are parents, but have been through those situations where a lot of the tension that is caused is because people are simply tired. They simply haven't had any time to think about what's going on. The midst of what they're in is actually just wearing them out. The problem itself has stopped to be a problem. The idea of stopping to pray, to sit, seems incredibly selfish. And yet, we read that it's the one thing Jesus did. Now, I'm not going to accuse Jesus of being selfish. In fact, I would say follow his example. No matter how hectic life is, no matter how great the demands are, it's the one thing that was important enough for Jesus to do that he did it no matter what. On this day, Jesus had learned that his cousin John had been beheaded. And the first thing he sought to do was to find time to himself. Maybe to grieve, maybe to think, maybe to prepare. But the crowds followed him, and not just one or two people, but over 5,000 people followed him. Jesus, being Jesus, spent time with them. He taught them, he ministered them, he took care of them. Eventually he fed them, having had compassion on them. Even though he was grieving. He then sent his disciples away, and when he'd managed to get rid of the crowds, who we read elsewhere, wanted to make him king, he eventually got that time to himself. And so he spent time alone. It's worth thinking that, as we consider the amazing things that Christ has done, all that he knows about what happens after death, all that he knows that his ability to raise people from the dead, that when he heard of his cousin being beheaded, he still needed time to go and think, to pray, to spend with his father, to prepare, to prepare time, prepare himself for what was to come. In some ways, I encourage you to do the same. Don't ever feel that the only useful thing you can do is be busy is that everything requires urgent attention. We all need that time. But of all the amazing things Christ did, it was the only thing I could think he did that was for his own benefit. And so to a certain extent, at the end of this tiring, exhausting day, both physically, mentally, and spiritually, I'm not surprised that we see Jesus walking on the water. It was almost like he did it because it was the only way he was going to get time to himself. Because if he'd got into the boat with the disciples, he would have got no time to himself there. When he got to the other end, there was going to be more problem. He had to do it some way. So if I was trying to think, well, why did Jesus walk on the water? It's the only reason I can think of. But that doesn't explain why Peter walked on the water. What was the purpose of Peter wanting to walk on the water? For whose benefit was that? Nearly everything, well, everything we see Jesus do is always for the benefit of others. When people make demands of Jesus and say, Jesus, prove to us who you are, he doesn't play their tune. He doesn't agree. When Pilate and Herod questioned him and said, who are you? He didn't perform some miracle to justify it. When the crowds wanted to make him king, he didn't let them. Jesus was always moved by compassion. He was always moved with a sense of what the other person was going through. Every miracle he performed, everything he did, was because someone else needed it. And yet here we see Peter saying, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out onto the water. It's a curious scene. 
as you would have seen with the children, is we often think it's quite nice when we're out at the edge of the sea. And it's quite nice because sometimes we've got away from the noise. It's the one piece of peace we get. You get a real sense of open space, a real sense of peace, a real sense of just time to think. But this wasn't one of those nights. There was a storm blowing. It was a night when people would have felt exposed, getting wet, getting drenched. It wasn't a pleasant night to be out in. And yet in the midst of it all, Peter decides the best thing, or the most important thing for him to do, is to go for a walk on the water. Now, I'm being a little bit facetious. Because as much as we would all like to have great gifts, we're all quite happy or seem to have contented ourselves with the fact that we can't fly, we can't levitate, we can't walk through walls, and we, can't, we don't have x-ray vision. This is all the stuff of comic books. So what was the purpose of Peter's walking on the water? On the one hand, was it to encourage us in our faith? That here we worship a God who can do anything, and not only can he do anything, if you have a right kind of faith, then you can do anything too. Now I want to pause for a moment, and first of all I want to clarify what I'm not talking about. There are moments in our lives when we, or someone we know, is going through a very difficult time. And we cry out to God to do something. Anything. We desire the miracle. We desire that amazing moment. We desire the presence of God. We want to see God do something. Those would be when Jesus is moved with compassion. But here, the only reason that we have the situation we have is because Peter has basically challenged Jesus to prove it. Prove to me that you are who you say you are. Now, I was joking upstairs with Anne that if this had been written in Glaswegian and Jesus comes walking across the water and the disciples look out and they get scared and Jesus says, it's all right, it's me. And Peter says, oh, I prove it. Jesus would have said it back, and who else do you think it's going to be, you numpty? How many of your friends can walk on water? But it's that prove it. Peter has challenged Jesus to prove it's him. I'm concerned when this passage is used, even though Peter gets rebuked for his lack of faith, as this idea that we've all got to get out of our comfort zones. I'll explain why. There is a standard commentary that goes to this text that says the boat is our comfort zone. Here we are all in our comfort zones. Jesus isn't in the boat. Jesus is in the storm. But if we have the right kind of faith, we too can get out of our comfort zone and walk on the water and be with Jesus and be where Jesus is. But there are a number of reasons we shouldn't be happy with that. I mean, the commentary goes on to say that the only real failures that night were the other 11 disciples who never tried walking on water, so they never got the chance. The disciples weren't in the boat because they were scared of the water. They were in the boat because Jesus had told them to get into the boat. They were doing what Jesus had told them to do. They were in the boat being tossed to and fro by the same storm that Jesus was walking through because Jesus had told them to be there. The disciples were already in the storm. The disciples were already in the boat because that's exactly where Jesus had told them to be. They were being obedient to Christ. And you could ask, what greater act of faith is there than doing what Christ has told you to do? Even though as fishermen, someone would have looked at the sea and looked at the sky and thought, I'm not overly sure tonight's a great night for going out in the water. They were already acting in faith. Jesus had told them to do something and they did it. But I must admit, 
There is a wee bit of me that also sympathizes with Peter. And I'm sure many of you have done too. That you've been at those points in life when people are mocking at you for your faith. How can you be a Christian? Prove it. You believe in this Jesus who can do these things. Prove it. You know, if this Jesus is as great as you say you, you think he is, prove it. And I don't know about you, but I have been through those times in my life when I wished and desired at that point to be able to have the power just to do something miraculous. Just to be able to do that one thing that would silence all the critics and say, wow, look at what Lionel did. Because, of course, the reality is it wouldn't silence them. And I'd get a big ego boost out of it. And I'd say, yes, and I've proved it. And I've won over the entire school and my entire household because they've all seen the amazing miracles I've done. The reality is, at the bottom of it all, isn't actually a desire to glorify God. There's a little bit of you that just wants the ability. You just want to have that power. And the more you get ridiculed, the more you sometimes want to actually say, oh, even if I could just, you know, I don't know, say something that they make. How did you know that? Read minds. I don't know. When I was 17... I kind of fell into that route a little bit. So I need to be careful that I'm not allowing experience to trump scripture in that sense. But when I was 17, I came across a pile of tapes. Now, this tells you how long ago it was, the fact that we were all listening to tapes. And these were all from America as they were at the time, this being about 30 years ago. And they were all what we now would call health and wealth teachers. If you just say it and you just believe it, then it's going to happen. Because God has promised to give you all that you ask. It's probably thinking, now I look with wisdom and think, well, no, actually, it doesn't say that, but that's kind of the line it went down. But in amongst these tapes, they were starting to get some criticism, so they were starting to criticize themselves a little. And in the midst of it, there was this one minister who stood up and said, if you really believe that you just need to name it and claim it, if you really believe that whatever you believe is God will honor that and do it for you, then don't wear any deodorant and declare that you don't smell. Well, I wasn't the wisest 17-year-old, and I thought, well, no one's going to ridicule my faith. I'm going to prove him wrong, and promptly stop wearing deodorant. Guess what? <laughs> I stank. People stopped sitting, at me, sitting with me at lunchtime, and I didn't notice at first until one, a couple of girls I'd sat with just said, I think we'll go somewhere else where there's a better smell. And I thought, oh, oops. Now, it was a harmless lesson to learn. The solution was simple. I just started wearing deodorant. No great damage had been done. All my friends were still my friends. More of them now sat with me for dinner than they had done in the previous couple of weeks. But that's the bizarre thing about this story. Is if I want to read a story that encourages me to step out in faith, I'm not wanting to read one where the main protagonist nearly loses his life by drowning. Because there is that reality in this. Peter had enough faith to get out of the boat. Now, let's be honest. If he hadn't known it was Jesus, he would have never have stepped out of the boat in the first place. So this wasn't really about Jesus proving himself. This was a little bit of showing off. Because if it had been a ghost, then Peter would have thought, don't be so daft, I'm just going to drown. Peter must have already knew, known it was Jesus, at least on some level, to actually step out of the boat in the first place. But it goes on to say he got distracted. He saw the waves, he saw the storm, and then he started to drown. But I'm thinking, well, that's not going to encourage me to follow him. The idea that on some, that I can step out in faith, but the moment I have a bad day, the moment things aren't going right, the moment my mind gets distracted, I'm likely to lose my life. This isn't going to encourage me to do likewise. The scary thing is, is there are far too many people who do almost do that. Those that refuse medical treatment because they're waiting for the miraculous. Those who turn down the help they're being offered because they're waiting for the miraculous. 
the people who give up the jobs that they have because they're going to live by faith. But not because God has called them to specifically to do something, but because they want to prove their faith. And sometimes they're risking far more than they realize. In some ways, this passage could be almost read as a warning against brash acts of faith, as it could be to read an encouragement to faith. Now, it is an encouragement for faith, and I'll explain why in a minute, but notice that when Peter drowned, Jesus picked him up, and what did they do? They got back into the boat. It wasn't that Jesus said to all the disciples, now I want all of you to step out the boat, and I want all of you now to walk to the shore. No, Jesus got into the boat with his disciples. The boat was perfectly fine. There was nothing wrong with the boat. So Jesus got into the boat with his disciples. The reason he was walking on the water was so he could be with his disciples in the situation that they were in. Jesus made himself present in their situation. And it was when he got into the boat that the storm calmed and then they got to where they were going. But how can this be an encouragement for us to act in faith? Because there are times in our lives when we do sometimes have to take that leap of faith. We have options ahead of us, and none of them leave us feeling particularly secure. There are those moments when we need to think, well, I'm not too sure what I'm going to do here. It's because when Peter drowned, was drowning, Jesus rescued him. Peter had cried out to Jesus and said, if you are who you say you are, then bid me to come. Prove it. Prove that it's really you. That moment when Peter was falling through the waves and that real physical hand reached down and pulled him up and they grabbed onto each other. At that moment, there would have been no doubt in Peter's mind as to who Jesus was. See, Jesus rescued Peter not because his faith was strong or at the moment that his faith was strongest. Jesus was there for Peter when his faith completely failed, when it had gone wrong and when his life was in risk. It wasn't because of Peter's great faith. It was because of Peter's lack of faith. A real living person. They start the story by thinking it's a ghost. They now know that Jesus is not a spirit. He's not a ghost. But a real and living person. It's often in our own moments, in our own lives, when we are at that darkest stage, when our faith is the weakest, when we have nothing left, that actually the one thing that makes a difference is becoming aware of the presence of Christ. Of knowing that in our situation, amongst all the situations in the world, and our little dwelling, and amongst all the houses in the world, that actually where we are is where God is. And that, for some reason, makes a tremendous difference, though it's not always possible to explain to others why. But because God is real. And his presence is real. I know myself that one of my lowest points, quite a few years ago, and I was sitting in a cell in a police station. And I was at that point where I thought I would never, you know, you live a life, you don't ever expect to end up in a cell in a police station. And I challenged God and said, okay, how do I know who you, you are, who you say you are? 
how on earth do I know that it's really Jesus and not just something else? And the response that came back was, because I've always been there for you. At that moment in time, that was all I needed to hear. I could have argued with him, well, if you'd always been there for me, I wouldn't have ended up in the cell. But actually, at that point, those arguments, all that proof, all that need to justify, went. Because what I needed to know is that Christ was there with me. Too often when we hear these debates on TV or on YouTube or we listen on the radio or the books that come out about proving God does or doesn't exist, talk about all sorts of things. They'll argue about creation, they'll argue about different... They'll argue, they'll pick anything. But they all miss one thing. And it's the real person of Christ. Quite often the one thing that's missing in all these debates is the person of Christ. The one who walked in Galilee. The reality of a living being... Not just a thought or an idea. Not just a ghost. But that person. Peter was rebuked for his lack of faith. That's true. But personally, when I read it, I don't read it as a, what do you think you were doing? I read it more as one of those things when two drukit men are stood talking to each other a bit like, what do you think you were doing, you dafty? What were you up to? You know, was Peter's real lack of faith getting Jesus to prove himself in the first place? Not the falling through the waves. We worship the Christ. The one who mourned when his cousin was beheaded. Yet stopped to feed 5,000 people. The one who turned down the offer of being made king because he was king. And so continued to be Rejected. The one who could have calmed the storm, the one who could walk on water, yet chose to spend his time with the disciples in the boat, to be present with them. One of the greatest gifts that we have from our Lord is his presence in our lives. One of the greatest things we can bring to others is an awareness of God's presence in their lives. Not because he's not there, but they just maybe don't see it. We don't step out in faith because we believe we have any magical powers. We trust the one who rescued us, who saved us, who reached down to be with us. So let us rejoice and celebrate that. Let us sing now hymn number 51. How can I keep from singing?
come to God in prayer. On this, the 20th anniversary of the massacre at Dunblane, we know we still have no words to make sense of what happened on that day. We start our prayers with a time of silent reflection. Those small lives which were begun are now gathered into the larger life of God. Here these lives will be kept safe forever and renewed by their creator. They will be gathered under the warm wings of the spirit and will never be left or forsaken. For the little and the least are loved of God. Father, as we remember the people of Dunblane, we remember those in other places whose names have become synonymous with tragedy, with war, with genocides, and with death. We pray for the people of Columbine, of Oma, Syria, Afghanistan, Rwanda, Iraq. Lord, we know that these places are so much more than the first thing that we think of when we hear their names. Lord, we pray that you would burst into new life in all places that have been covered with darkness. Lord, that you would show your comfort and your love in these places that need you so much. God who is always making things new we pray that you would continue your work in this world Amen
Heavenly Father, on a day when we remember the extraordinary things that you have done and continue to do, we thank you also for the ordinary. We thank you for the things we take for granted, yet so many in the world do not have. We thank you for our work, for our home, for our clothes, for food, and for freedom. It's our desire, Lord, to use these things to glorify you. And this includes the money that we have offered to be used for your purposes here in Hillhead. Grant us the wisdom of what to do and how to do it. And continue to glorify yourself through your work here and in the wider community which you love. In all these things we praise you and your name. Amen. Let's sing hymn number 131, Through the Love of God our Saviour. together.